Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Chris Maxwell, founder and managing director of Lucian, Australia's leading in-house agency specialist with deep experience building and optimising in-house teams. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Darren. Thanks for having me. Um, Chris, uh, absolute pleasure because uh, I love the idea of in-house agencies. I think uh, there's been a lot of talk about it, especially in the US, but not a lot of action necessarily in Australia, is there? No, well, I think there's probably more bubbling under the surface than most people would think. You know, I've got personal experience having um, built and run an in-house agency at one of Australia's biggest uh, businesses, Carlton United Breweries. There are a number of businesses out there in Australia like Optus and Sportsbed and Commonwealth Bank and a number of others that have built in-house agencies and are running them quite successfully. Um, although there's plenty of debate about you know, whether it's the right thing to do in Australia or not, we're firmly on the side of it's, it's um, a very valuable initiative for a, a large business to undertake. Um, if you look at the United States, a lot of businesses um, in the last 10 years have gone towards in-housing for a number of different reasons. Absolutely. But I think before you know, we go too deep down this rabbit warren, we might just uh, see if you and I have a very similar uh, idea about what actually constitutes an in-house agency. Because I think a lot of companies have in-house studios. But I'm not sure that that actually is an in-house agency. You know, having uh, some uh, Mac operators making up a, a you know a few forms and uh, and whipping up a, you know maybe a couple of little ads to run here and there doesn't necessarily make it an agency, does it? Well, I think a lot of people start there. A lot of people start with a, a small design studio, and there's um, there's good reason for that. You know, particularly if you're dealing with um, external partners and you want to be a little faster or, or have some design capabilities closer into the business. Um, that's often the way people enter into this space. But our view is there's plenty of efficiencies and effectiveness to be gained in expanding the capabilities beyond design and a studio into things like digital marketing, social content, um, even programmatic media, data and technology. So, you know, um, definitionally, it's bringing inside the organisation capabilities that would typically have been outside the organisation through an external agency. It could be any one of those things. You know, our view is when I've seen it work really well is when you've got an integrated services offering offering inside the organisation. Yeah, because there are so many things that you can, you know, technology allows a marketer to bring in-house, you know. You can have video production, for instance, and and many of the other things that uh, you mentioned. From your perspective and and your experience of what you built at uh, CUB, what's would be a reasonable scope of work for an in-house agency for a company like CUB? Well, I think, you know, as a marketer, um, all marketers have a variety of different uh, jobs and tasks and projects to work on, you know, and a lot of it, uh, even up to 80% of the work is what you might call the day-to-day churn and burn of marketing, you know, promotional work, below-the-line marketing, um, social content, community management. It's, It's all that stuff that's um, engaging with customers on a day-to-day basis, um, whereas 
there is a smaller number of projects, but sometimes highly important strategically, um, things like brand relaunches, innovations. And our view is um, look to in-house that day-to-day churn and burn of marketing because there's real efficiencies to be gained and bringing that in closer to the business means it can be more effective. Yeah. Then we still believe that there's value in bringing in external experts to look at that higher-end tier one brand building, innovation, you know, relaunches, those kind of campaigns. So in, in our model, we've got sort of in-housing paired with the idea of um, bringing in on a project basis the best strategic or creative or production talent you can bring in to help bolster the capabilities of the in-house team. It's sort of one of the uh, misunderstandings when people talk about in-housing is it doesn't actually mean replacing external agencies completely, does it? It's not like it's either in-house or it's not. It, it is most likely going to be both. I think it's both and, you know. It's not either or, it's both and. You, you kind of need both. And, you know, um, there have been um, examples of businesses that have gone fully in-house and obviously there's lots of examples of people who don't do it at all and, and go full external. Our view is that there's this idea of a hybrid model where you've got some capabilities inside the organisation, the capabilities that make sense to bring in, that, are, that are, it's better when they're closer into the organisation. It might be that you need ownership and accountability over the, the data or the decision-making or it might need to be faster. Um, but there's also benefit to external thinking, you know, bringing in people who um, aren't necessarily as close to the brand because you want diverse creative thinking or a different level of creative ambition or strategic ambition so we think there's real gold in kind of the pairing of the two. And this is part of your uh, solution, which is really neat, is not just helping uh, marketers design and build their in-house requirements, but also pulling together almost like a, a panel or a, a marketplace of really top external uh, creative strategists, uh, producers, to actually come and facilitate that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so so one of my business partners is a fellow named Nick Garrett. Nick's been in and around the industry in Australia and around the world for a long time. He's a very respected um, leader in the creative industry. And when we um, first um, were designing Lucian's business offerings, um, it's all built around this idea of bringing in-house capability. But we honestly believe that there's real benefit in pairing that up with external capability for those projects where you need that extra firepower. And so um, Nick and myself and our other business partners, Andy and Marty, have built out what we're calling our, our panel of um, independent strategists, creatives and production talent that we can help connect our clients up with on a project basis so that you can build your in-house team to do that day-to-day churn. And then when you need that extra firepower of a specialist, whether it's a strategy or an innovation or a brand positioning specialist, um, we can connect you up with people in the industry who are at that sort of real tier one elite level to come in and do that piece of work for you on a project-only basis. So you can kind of avoid that big expensive external retainer, but still have all the um, proximity to the brand that you get with the in-house agency. Because that overcomes one of the big issues that a lot of marketers, especially in the US, have struck, where they've tried to build the in-house agency to replace their requirement externally. Mm. And then how do I attract that really high-end talent and how do I keep them? 
Yeah. You know, because as, as you said, 70% of your work is going to be just the, the churn and burn, the collateral of marketing. So they're not going to sit around and be happy working on that no. for 70% of their time. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 um, and you don't need them on that all the time. You know, there's some of the clients that we're talking to, um, we're talking about the right right sizing the production values for different pieces of work. You know, and you don't, everything doesn't have to be the same production quality or the same level. Oh, know? I wish you'd and, tell a few agencies <laughs> that. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's important, right? Because, you know, there's, there's work that's going to be, you know, have a huge media spend behind it that's going to be seen by millions of people. And there's work that's going to kind of be up and down in a couple of days and making sure that you've got the right caliber of kind of quality and you're investing the right amount of money behind those different pieces of work is important. So when you want to do that bit of work that's big and it's going to reach a lot of people and you're going to put a lot of investment behind it, you want to get the best talent you can get to make sure that piece of work's as good as it can be. And so we've kind of built the panel out so that, that our, our clients can have the best of both worlds. A lot of this has been driven by the digital technology, the digital platforms, because they are incredible consumers of or incredibly demanding of marketing collateral, aren't they? You know, mm. I know uh, Michael Farmer, my business partner in the US, has been tracking this since the mid-90s. Mm. He said the average brand would produce around 200 to 250 pieces of work a year. The average brand now will produce 3,000 plus. Yeah. And some up to t- more than 10,000. You know, by the time you count all the Instagram updates mm-hmm. and the Facebook updates mm-hmm. and the like. So this volume of work, part of this means that, to your point a minute ago, that you couldn't produce all of those thousands of bits of work in the same way that the agencies will often agonise over producing that very important 30-second or 60-second brand launch ad. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think... You know, the, the other factor is you can see that the demand for content and collateral and creative has gone up, as you're saying, sort of tenfold, sometimes 20-fold. Mm. But marketers' budgets haven't gone up 10 or 20-fold <laughs> and certainly marketers' teams haven't gone up 10 or 20 times. So you've got to kind of find ways to do more with less. And so that's what we found a way when I was at CUB. I found it quite revolutionary to be able to um, bring that work in-house closer to the business and it was faster, more effective, the work was better. Um, we were able to get it out the door, you know, in 24 hours or 48 hours instead of kind of that longer um, time frame that sometimes it was with the external partners. And um, that is what I think you need when you're, you know, in, in today's marketplace, you know, is that agility and speed and responsiveness to what the consumers um, are asking of brands. Now, it's quite refreshing, Chris, because uh, in your list there, there was nothing about cheaper. And I'm I'm sure you did that deliberately, but a lot of discussions around in-housing, it's almost you feel like the number one driver was, oh, and it's cheaper. Is that uh, your perception or is it uh, the reality? I think a lot of people kind of go there immediately that, you know, we're going to save a lot of money. And and it's fair to say... Um, depending on your your agency situation today, um, there is opportunity for savings in there, but that can't be the driver of why you want to do this. You know that the driver has to be: I want greater proximity to the brand. Um, I want ownership and uh, accountability for my brand's voice and, and tone. 
Um, I want to own the data that our customers, you know, share with us and, and our ability to leverage that data. Um, I want to be faster to the market. There's all these benefits to bringing it in closer to the business that you get. And listen, if we can save a bit of money, great, but that's not the driver. And actually, our perspective is whatever you can save on one side, you should be investing in doing better work and you know, um, on the other side, so those kind of tier one big campaigns, let's let's invest the right amount of money in getting the best people and putting the right amount of media behind them. Absolutely. And, and the problem is, as soon as you start talking about savings, any procurement team within a bull's roar immediately think, oh, well, we can drop that to the bottom of the line and look at, you know, look how well we've done. It is important though, because you, you made the point that marketers' budgets haven't gone up in the same way that the demands on marketers have. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've you know, talked to a lot of CMOs who said in real terms, you often have less money today than you had five or 10 years ago for brands because you know inflation, the amount that needs to be covered these days, even things like um, you know the things that an organisation will put onto the marketing team as mandatory things to come out of their budget before you even start to think about uh, you know what do we really need to do to drive growth here? That, is that one of the challenges that uh, you found in your career? Absolutely. I mean, the, the other thing is, you know, marketers are being asked, and I think this is those those line items that are in the marketing budget that you're referring to, marketers are being asked to invest in data and technology and platforms that they didn't have to invest in in the past. So, you know, before you even start thinking about creativity and reaching customers and engaging with customers, it might be that 20 or 30% of your marketing budget's committed already and sometimes more than that, you know, and and, and so... You know, that that ability to be, have variable um, spend is it has, was in my experience um, restricted, and, and I think particularly in an environment where COVID's impacted the economy and a lot of marketers are kind of having to change the way they do things, it might be even more severe now than it was two years ago. Um, and and this model that we're um, hoping to build with our clients is um, all around trying to find ways to do more with less. Yeah. And and not compromise on quality. That's right. Because there is, even to your point about there's different sort of executional requirements for different levels of, of this work, you still don't want to put something out there that was looks like it was done with cut-out potatoes and ink pads, <laughs> you know, by by a bunch of three-year-olds. Though that could work on certain <laughs> strategies, <laughs> Some couldn't it? maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting... Um, the, the other point that uh, I wanted to follow up with you is the fact that um, a lot of people are inclined to not consider the other costs within housing. You must have, when you went through that process with CUB, because CUB is a very buttoned up business. You know, they uh, anyone that works in uh, the brewing area, they'd have very strong understanding of cost of, of goods and things like that. You must have had to have gone through quite a rigorous uh, business case to actually build this. Yeah, absolutely, we did, and you know, and this was. It, I, I think it took around twelve months to kind of get the business case up um, at CUB to, to do this, and you know, it, it took. You know, the, the the leadership of the organisation had to sign off, and it was quite a big change to kind of move from um, outsourcing a lot of that work to bring building a team in in house. But the benefit. Um, we were able to demonstrate really quickly. We were able to demonstrate the benefit in terms of kind of return on investment, but also the quality of the work, 
the engagement with our customers kind of went through the roof and we were able to produce some really, really high quality work pretty quickly. And the business kind of, I think it, it got it really quickly. And, and, and if anything, the demand from the business came faster than we were expecting because it was so successful in that sort of early days that we were quickly you know, trying to um, figure out how to manage the demand that was coming into the internal agency because not only the marketing team, but then some of the other departments were starting to think, well, there's this, this team of creative and, and production and skilled people over here. How can we you know, make, make use of them? There's also, and, and you just touched on it then, there's also a cultural change, isn't there? It's not just about the, the dollars and the, and the processes. It actually does have an impact on the organisation culturally. Absolutely. And that, that, to be honest, was, I think, the most um, surprising and pleasing benefit of building that in-house team at, at CUB was the building of a creative team inside what was a pretty buttoned-down corporate organisation um, and and taking the time to think through how that creative team would have their own culture and that that, that culture could permeate the broader marketing team was this huge kind of benefit to the marketing team and then to the total business. You know, all of a sudden, you know, we went from having a marketing team full of kind of button-down suit-wearing um, uh, brand managers and, and, and marketeers to you know, having designers and videographers and, you know, they were kind of riding into work on skateboards and, wearing shorts and, and man buns. And it was um, it was refreshing to have that shape of, of, of talent inside the organisation and the creative culture that it drove, just thinking that ideas can come from inside the business and outside the business was, was again, quite revolutionary for the business. And all of a sudden you had brand managers and innovation managers thinking, well, the ideas don't have to come from outside the organisation. We can generate our own ideas and we can produce them and we can get them out the door really quickly. And that that was quite freeing for the organisation. It is actually one of those things that we don't hear enough about. But I have, you know, when I've talked to people that have successfully run in-house agencies, especially in the US, they do say that that was one of the unexpected benefits is that the impact on the culture of the organisation of having this team of creative people Mm. actually in the organisation. Another area is uh, the idea of, um, uh, what what do they call it? Um, Agile, agile ways of working. You know, most uh, corporate organisations have embraced agile in, in some respect, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, that's certainly right. I mean, all the clients we're talking to in some way, shape or form are using Agile, whether they're you know, fully embracing the, the sort of Agile Scrum and Kanban type um, methodologies or, or just parts of it. But, you know, um, when we set up the in-house agency at CUB, it was 2017, 2016, 2017, and it was early days. And to the best of my knowledge, we were the first team in the organisation to adopt Agile. So we were kind of running two-week sprints and daily stand-ups and that whole sort of model. And it didn't take long for the business to kind of look over and go, ah, that's a new way of operating. Let's all kind of start to adopt that. And I know other departments within marketing quickly adopted that. And I think other parts of the business kind of started to follow. So um, it's just another example of building that in-house capability, starting to do things a little bit differently had a cultural impact on the ways of working of the business. So it's interesting in that case, the the in-house agency actually drove the change to Agile, whereas we come up against where the business has made a decision to become Agile. Mm. 
And then when they get to working with their agency, they find that there's this conflict. And the conflict's driven by the fact that really most agencies have not changed their way of working in 50 years. That it's a very linear waterfall stage mm. and gate mm. approval process. That when it comes up against agile, it just falls to bits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly can't speak to what all the agencies are doing. I think you've got a much um, greater perspective on that. But I think for an agency to be successful today, they've got to be able to work in the way that the client wants them to work, you know, and be able to work around their models and rhythms and processes. And um, agile seems to be what everyone's doing because it works. And you want to, it gets you to good outcomes really quickly and it helps businesses prioritize and manage capacity. So um, if agencies aren't working in an agile way, and I, I think I read enough and hear enough about a lot of them that they're starting to go there if they haven't already, that they should be thinking about that. Yeah, certainly the, the smaller independent agencies yeah. have been able to do it. Yeah. It's the larger network agencies because I think the thing that works against them is hierarchy. Yeah. You know, where you start having account executives, account managers, account directors, group account directors, you know, uh, client leads. Suddenly you've got this hierarchy that gets in the way of actually working in an agile manner. Yeah, that's because right. agile requires you to be yeah. more flatter yep. and, and more horizontally integrated. I, th I think it was Martin Sorrell that came up with uh, horizontality. Yeah. I just don't think they ever got to the point of making it work in real terms. Yeah, I mean, I was always a big one for pushing accountability and decision-making down the organisation to get the organisation to move faster and having those levels of hierarchy and approvals kind of just slows things down, you know. So obviously for certain things you need to sort of escalate, but but having giving the people who you've trusted to run the business, the ability and the right to run the business is kind of what we need. And, and um, you know, we, we see, we see in whether it's in-house agencies or marketing teams, when you enable teams to make decisions and empower them to kind of move, then, then things move faster. Mm. One of the other things I'd like your um, opinion on is whether this move to organisations wanting to be more customer-centric. And one of the ways of being more customer-focused is through data, especially first-party customer data. And whether part of this is driven by concerns around privacy and security of that data, because, you know, we've seen a lot of companies get very uptight about having to share that first-party customer data with an external agency or external vendors. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think if Every business is is struggling with, if not if they haven't cracked it, and not too many have cracked it. Some have struggling with, you know, how do they deal with um, first party customer data? How do they deal with personalization? How do they deal with privacy? There's a lot going on in that space, you know, um, these days. Um, you know, my perspective is um, bringing accountability for customer data for privacy in closer to the organization is, in my opinion, the right thing to do as opposed to outsourcing that. And there are plenty of organizations and categories where it's um, it's, it's mandated, it's, it's um, legislated that you can't share customer data outside the organization. So you've got to build those capabilities inside the organization. And, and most of them, if they haven't already have done that, you know, because mm. because it's, it's important, like the financial services industry, they've all got those sort of teams inside the organization because they have to. Yeah. So your uh, data analytics and insights team is churning through all this first-party data yeah. and then the insights get thrown over the fence into yeah. the marketing. And then, and then what happens is, so if you think about first-party data 
you know, that, that, that moves you into personalization. Um, all of a sudden you've got to now produce personalized content, you know, and that's where um, in, in, in the in-house model, being able to deliver personalized content, leveraging systems to do versioning and resizing in an automated way enables you to produce multiple versions of content that are personalized uh, as opposed to sort of the old way of, you know, uh, kind of manhandling it and sending it outside the organization and getting it back three weeks later, you know, with a, with a hefty bill attached to it. Now, this leads us to the next area, which we haven't really touched on yet, which is media, you know. And we've heard, especially in the US, we've heard lots of stories about uh, people taking media in-house. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think the most famous story was the uh, client said to the media agency, well, we'll need 25 of your staff to populate our in-house agency. <laughs> and uh, six months later went back and said, can I have another 25 because mm. all those ones left. Mm. But uh, was media part of your experience at uh, CUB? It, it absolutely was. And actually um, the, the first person I brought in to help set up the in-house agency was somebody from our media agency at the time. And I won't say her name, but she knows who she is and she, she's still with the organisation and has grown and, and, and it was promoted into another role um, not that long ago and is apparently killing it, you know, has, has been in the organisation for a long time. Um, and so we did bring media in-house and we brought programmatic in-house and we were able to demonstrate pretty quickly through some, um, through some testing um, significant savings um, and significant improvements in engagement and efficacy of our um, programmatic media investments. So um, having that in-house was beneficial for, for us. And, and you know, I think I've heard and read enough about other organisations having done that. Uh, one of the guys in our team at Lucian is a fellow named Stephen Hunt. He helped build the in-house programmatic team for Universal Music. And before that, he helped set up TubeMogul in Australia, which is one of the sort mm-hmm. of outsourced programmatic buying um, businesses. And you know, he was able to demonstrate and told me sort of in that 30, 40% um, uh, CPM improvements when he was bringing programmatic in-house at Universal and we saw something in that range, you know, in that sort of 30% improvements um, at CUB. So there's opportunity there, but, uh, you know, getting the right people in the organisation and getting the tools and systems and processes set up is important too. And this will only uh, expand as we, you know, we're talking about uh, programmatic for digital out of home, uh, programmatic eventually, well, catch up television or, or uh, well, OTT television, mm. they call it in the US. I'm not quite sure why it's over the top, <laughs> but anyway, or on top of traditional uh, television. But, you know, this can only expand, can't it? I think so. I mean, yeah, you, you, we're already sort of talking to some of our clients about digital out-of-home um, systems and, you know, it won't be long before you'll be able to buy most things from a, from a DSP in some way, shape or form and, and therefore having that capability closer to the business so you can not only kind of plan but also interrogate that and ensure that you guys, are, you know, the businesses are targeting in the right way and deploying their you know, significant investments in the right way is pretty important. It's interesting, isn't it, Chris, that, uh, you know, 1995 uh, agencies made the decision to spin off media into one business and creative into another. It could be that uh, it's actually the marketers that bring the two back together in-house. Well, that that thought of integration is actually a pretty important one because I think there's this real benefit in bringing some of these capabilities back in because it drives greater integration. It means that the media team, the creative team, the production team can be further up the planning you know, um, uh, uh, pipeline and 
the thinking can be integrated from the very beginning rather than kind of at the end of the process, which generates a better outcome and generates more effective work. So that idea of kind of making sure, whether you're using an external agency or an internal agency, making sure that you've got integrated thinking across your channels, across your media and your creative, then it generates better work. Mm. From the point of view of uh, a marketer sitting there listening to this, what's the starting point, do you think, for them to start doing this? Because uh, yeah, they could have, to your point at the start of this conversation, they might already have uh, a small studio or a bit of design work. But what do they need to, what's the sort of thought process that you'd recommend that they go through to work out if they should pursue expanding on in-house agency? Well, we've got a, we've got a kind of a rigorous process that we take our, our partners through to do exactly that, which is sort of, you know, without, without going into a huge amount of detail, we, we'll do an audit of what they're currently doing, what they're um, insourcing, what they're outsourcing, and have a look at where the opportunities are, um, have a look at what their requirements are for work, whether that's content being produced, whether that's creative concepting, whether that's, you know, media investment, and then design um, a future-looking um, structure, a future-looking strategy, um, and what the processes and ways of working around that would look like if we were to build an in-house team that was capable of delivering that and, and, and delivering what they need in a year or two's time, not just what they need today. So taking into account, you know, if, if the vision is we want to get to um, and our ability to deliver personalization at scale or real-time optimization of our media investments, having a look at what kind of what people you need in the team, what kind of tools and tech you need in the team to be able to deliver that and then starting to implement that now so that in a year or two's time, you're ready to do that. Have you found when you do that initial audit that uh, people are shocked at how much they're spending on things? And I'll give you an example. One of the big consulting firms came to us and said they're spending about a quarter of a million dollars externally on video production. Mm. Um, and that was just their marketing team. We did a quick survey and we found it was almost four times that across the whole organisation. It was over a million dollars. Yeah. Um, by the time you added up, you know, uh, HR and their tra you know, training and personnel videos, and it, it, there are significant expenditures in these organisations that could easily be bundled into an in-house agency, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, so just by way of example, um, we did something similar, again, referring back to my days at CUB, where we had a look at um, what our brands were investing in external agency partners, in digital agencies and content. And, um, you know, like in many organisations, the brands would kind of operate in silo. It was, it was all one big part of one big team, but each brand had its own budget. And, you know, when, when, when we centralized um, or took a look at that from a central perspective, I think it was quite an eye-opener to see that every brand's looking at spending three or four hundred thousand dollars. But when you add it up across 20 brands, all of a sudden it's millions of dollars, you know, that you're investing in that and there's there's an opportunity there. So I think um, further to your point, if you look in other departments and you know across total businesses, there's people would be surprised about the amount of money that they're investing in these kind of op opportunities. And there's there's opportunity for not only doing um, generating efficiencies there, but also doing better work there. You know? mm. Well, look, and one of the um, the issues for the head of marketing was suddenly their in-house agency, which was primarily coming from their budget, was going to give them access to a huge amount of external comms and internal comms that they'd never see previously. 
And so they could have a greater impact on making sure that every piece of communication from the organisation was supporting the brand positioning. And this is one of the great things, isn't it, is getting that sense of you know, consolidation, not just from a financial point of view, but also from a strategic point of view. Strategically, from a positioning, from a consistency perspective. I mean, it's really, it's owning... It's owning that brand voice. You know, that's what we sort of say is own the brand voice. And that doesn't just mean in social, but that means having full visibility and clarity on what the brand and the, and the business is putting out there in the marketplace and, and being able to kind of make decisions on that in, in real time. And that, that's part of the benefit of, of, of this. Now, when you um, sort of just, and I know you're giving an overview of the process, it's quite a rigorous process and quite a strategic process of de- Binding and designing hmm. the requirements for a brand. But it wouldn't be one that would happen in a lot of cases where someone starts off with, say, let's two designers on Max sitting in the corner hmm. and ending up being a full-service agency. It's not something that you should really leave to chance, is it? Well, you know, there's, there's plenty of um, in-house teams in Australia who have evolved over time and done exactly that you know you start with a couple of designers and you kind of bolt on a content producer an av producer and maybe a media person and you kind of evolve to this place where you've got quite a a robust team Um, and one of the things that um, people find is there's benefit in reviewing what that team does having real clarity over the purpose of the in-house agency the, the the objectives the kpis the ways of working, the processes. And that's just another thing that we kind of come in and help people do is um, make sure they're getting the most out of their investment because it is a significant investment. You're investing in people and, you know, that's the most important asset that you can invest in and and making sure that they're, you know, motivated and culturally aligned and doing the best work that they can do. That's how you're going to get, you know, the best outcome for your business and the best ROI. So that's something that we can help with as well. It sounds uh, it sounds terrific because usually we get called in by the CFO that says I'm spending X thousands of dollars on this in-house agency. Can you tell me if I'm getting value? Mm. Is pretty much the one-dimensional view from the uh, the C-suite. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, your uh, your efforts here with Lucian will uh, help marketers start to build a functional in-house agency well we hope so that's that's the vision and and, you know if we can help one marketer do that then that will be happy Mm. so uh, chris look we've run out of time it's been terrific to catch up and have this conversation i'm uh, really hoping that uh, we start to see an acceleration of uh, really high performing uh, and and high quality in-house agencies coming about me too thanks very much for your time darren uh, just a question before we go, before we finish up, and that is, uh, how do some of your agency mates feel about you uh, going around? Potentially, they often feel threatened by this, don't they? Mm-hmm.